You are listening to Down Home. Episode 6. This week we have a conversation with Ina Maxim about her Scotian roots and systemic racism in education. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. Uh, we have another special guest this week, uh, Ina Maxim. I've known Ina for a uh, long time, actually. Um, and just before you go into that, Ina, I remember walking into uh, uh, my kid's school and first thing you, you said to me, you looked me up, you now and said, I understand you're Scotian. <laughs> so, so Ina, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, you got to love that meet and greet. That's totally down home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my name is Ina Maxim and I know uh, Derek Wise through the school that I work with. Um, my connection with Nova Scotia was I was born there. Um, I was born in Windsor. And that is, the county is Annapolis Valley. So I'm really a valley girl. And uh, my mother was from Nova Scotia. She was from Falmouth. And she did something kind of different. So people will say, Maxim, there's no Scotians in Maxim. Like, you know, we don't know the family because my mother married a Cuban. And that was the big thing back then because everybody will remember my mother as Bernadine Goler. And they'll say, oh yeah, she married that Cuban. So that's my, my mom's, you know, well, she's notorious. Um, just want to maintain status quo with uh, your show. I'm wearing my, I don't know if you can see it. Okay. Oh. Cool. Yeah, represent. <laughs> <laughs> and then for my drinking, out of my drinking cup, I am drinking from the, oops, there we go. Oh, Af- oh, United Baptist Church, Africville, Nova Scotia. Nice. Thanks. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That the was, church, the church roots run deep in Halifax, Nova oh, Scotia. Mm-hmm. Let's go there on that one. But so, <laughs> you know, and it, it was interesting because um, I left Nova Scotia and I was three months old, which was a very interesting situation because um, my grandmother was supposed to deliver me. She was a midwife down home because you know everybody can't get to the hospital, but she died. So my mom ended up going to Windsor. And then there was conflict because my father being Afro-Cuban and me being so fair-skinned, the nurse was saying, this is not your child. And my father was like, yes, it is. She got my last name. So next minute, you know, to prevent me from being part of the 60 scoop, and I say that because my mom's roots are black and indigenous. I was, I was shipped off three months old to Newark, New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. And there I was educated for 12 years. And because Newark was having a lot of race riots, you know, and, you know, civil rights movement. Uh, we returned to Canada, my brother, myself, my mom, but my dad being, you know, had his own business, he stayed back home in Jersey. So this is where, you know, I want to talk about, I know you mentioned to me about systemic racism. It's interesting how things are when you're in Canada, because it's subtle. It's very subtle. And in the United States, it's up close and personal. It's in your face, because they're going to tell you like it is. Whereas in Canada, they do it politely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you walk away and went, wait, hold on here. You know, um, when I look at my roots and my family roots, like my grandfather, Frank Herbert Goler, um, he was a smart businessman, but he was illiterate. And he could only write his name, but he owned an apple orchard. And he gave a gentleman named uh, Mr. Pizant 
rite of passage mm -hmm. to his poppy to bring his lumber. And that was a big deal back then because that was a black man with indigenous roots also giving permission of a white man to mm -hmm. come on his property. Mm -hmm. wow. So that was huge. And then you have, um, my grandfather was asked to be one of the jurors on a murder case. That's you unusual. Know? Yeah. And he was a black man. Wow. So, and I share these stories with you because my grandfather told me, because a lot of, um, a lot of our history is oral history because either they don't know how to read or write because that's because they all went out work on the farm or had to get a job, you know, and they were, there's always storytelling, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. and I remember my grandfather telling me that my great grandfather and along with my uncle Clarence Delbert Gray that okay. is the uncle of Clyde Gray, yeah. uh, his father and my great grandfather, they call it Gray Mountain. Really, it's not a mountain. It's a hill. <laughs> it was a place where the runaway slaves from the United States sought safety in passage. Okay. So they go through the Underground Railroad, get, get to Nova Scotia. And then as long as you have a piece of property, you had squatters rights, then you were free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, it's no longer, it was never a mountain, it's a hill. But, you know, this is the history that we carry, but we don't get a chance to share. Yeah, you know? very, very true. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. That's great. Uh, so, went to Jersey at the age of three. Three months old. Three months old. So, your, your early memories are from, are American, basically, right? Nope. Because my mom had strong Scotian roots. Mm -hmm. And uh, I say that because, you know, that's how we identify each other as Scotian. Because back in the day, you know, if you were Black, Indigenous, or Black, you would never say you're from Nova Scotia. It's always, you Scotian? I'm Scotian. Like, you know, and it's, it's kind of like just down, kept on the down low. So every year up until my grandfather passed away, I was leaving New Jersey, the city, and living in where my mom was born, the house that my grandfather uh, built in Falmouth, Nova Scotia. And if you don't know okay. Falmouth, that is 45 miles outside of Halifax. And it is the midpoint of the equator. Yeah. It's famous. <laughs> yeah. So you, you spent every summer there then? Oh, yes. And talk about your cultural shock. Because, you know, you talk about indoor plumbing in New Jersey. Then you come to Nova Scotia. You're going into the forest, into the rural area, you know, um, you got your outhouse, you got your, you got your cast iron tub yeah. and you, you have your kitchen floors that are dirt floors, dirt, yeah. dirt floors, <laughs> and you have your wooden stove. Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably a well too, right? To go get your water. Oh yeah. Oh, my father built a, 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 a cement lid for my grandfather's well. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so what, um, what brought you to Toronto? Well, my aunt was here. She moved from Nova Scotia. And in New Jersey, like I said, there was a lot of race riots. And my brother's friends were being recruited to gangs and stuff like this division. And it was just, you know... It wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. And so dad said, you know, I've established my clientele. I'm going to stay here as a 
like a, a black Cuban man. He, it's, you know, he worked up a clientele and his business was lucrative. We own our own house in Jersey. So, you know, we were doing pretty good. And my mom and my brother and I went to visit my aunt in Toronto and mom liked it. And she said, you know, um, dad had bought a house in California. Mom said, I want to be above ground, not underground. <laughs> so we went back to Canada and we returned. And this is where my first encounter of, you know, that's systemic racism. Mm-hmm. So my Canadian returning, I'm born Canadian. My brother's American. And then you have the immigration officer telling my mother, you can come, the daughter can come, but your son can't come. And we're like, what? And he said, He'll, he's going to be deported. So this is where my mom, you know, I, I, you know, my mom was a very quiet and passive woman. She really didn't rock the boat with the, you know, any form of authoritarian. It's like not her. And I watched her go into survival mode. And she said, you know, and you know, down home, you know how your mother gave you that look? <laughs> I am talking to no comp. Not, it's different how we raise our children that we want to hear your opinion. We want to know what you're thinking. That day, children should be seen and not heard. So mom start telling the man, you want to deport him? Go ahead and deport him. I don't know where his father is. You go find him. And then my brother and I look at each other like, what? And then we look at each, look at mom, look at the man, and look at each other. In our minds, we're like, well, we know where dad is. He's back in our house, you know? So it, it, it was quite interesting how mom, you know, she was very angry because as a returning Canadian, she did not have the perks as a immigrant, did ha- have the housing did not have welfare rate set up, did not, it was like, you're on your own, good luck. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. That was our first time I watched my mother, who was kind of like a chill, laid-back woman. The mm-hmm. second time is when I was going to the education system. Now, I need to point out, um, I am a TDSB employee, and I'm bound by their code and ethics as an employee that I cannot speak about systemic racism as an employee. However, and I, said, <laughs> I can talk about my experience as a person attending the TDSB, and I could talk about my children' experience. So, on that note, moving forward, I went to Lord Dufferin School, and to this day, Lord Dufferin has a mural for their hundredth, I think. 200 anniversary and I made sure my little brown face was up on that mural even though my other friends of color they were like oh I can't be I said oh no I want to make sure they know there were brown people in the school too you know mm-hmm. yeah. um, which changed because we were the minorities but now Lord Dufferin is very um, very diverse so I remember mom going and talk to this principal again my mother when it came to authority she like she would just stay silent and like she said to me when I came to Canada she turned to me and said Ina listen don't rock the boat okay just try to get along don't rock the boat and I'm looking at her like what do you mean mom? Just, you know you know because I grew up like I said with the Americans with that you know uh, that constitution that everybody freedom of speech <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I was, I was actually doing that as a young, I would call them out. And so the principal um, noticed that I, came, I was, you know, being educated from a 
foreign institution, even though it's the States. And that year, my friends that I met from Trinidad and Jamaica, everybody got put back. Oh, really? Really? They got put Yes. If you came from Jamaica, with, I don't know, like Nova Scotia, Jamaica, like West Indian education, they're tough. They're, they, you know, you talk to any of your friends, you better know your stuff. Nova Scotia, my mother nearly failed kindergarten because you had to know how to count to 20 and write your name. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, they don't mess around. So they said, because I came from the United States, I was going to be held back a grade. This is where my mother, okay, one of the very few moments that she stepped forward and said, I don't think so. She goes, she has a straight grade A student from grade one. She was supposed to be skipped from grade six to grade eight. And here's the documentation. And you want to put her back? So they were going back and forth, back and forth. And finally, um, they, she said, fine, don't skip her, but you're not putting her back. And she managed to get me to put in grade seven, which I actually was applicable to my age. So, mm -hmm. so fine. Then it came about learning French. And oh my gosh. So they said, well, she needs to be bilingual. She needs to learn French. And this is from my dad's family. But yo soy cadiense, yo entiendo español muy bien. And so my mom was like, she's already bilingual. French. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I asked my French, listen to this, her name was Madame Elizabeth Beer, who was the director for Canadian Living magazine, oh, wow. was my teacher, realized as I'm trying to answer the questions, and uh, she's answering me in French, I'm answering her in Spanish, writing it on the board in Spanish, and she says, Ina, by chance, do you speak another language? I said, oh, yeah, I speak Spanish. So then she pulls me aside and said, here's the deal. I'll pass you, but you got to promise me you're never going to take French. I said, done. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and I ended up passing. I ran into her years later. I was a, I was a parent. And I said, Madame Bear, how are you? She's good. She goes, Ina, you were one of the students I, I remember well. And I said, yeah. And I kept my promise. I never took French. Didn't take it in high school. Didn't take it in university. So, you know, I just want to let you know, I'm a woman of my word. <laughs> Très bien. <laughs> oh, my only excusez-moi, mademoiselle, c'est un accident. I figured that, you know, that line would get me out of trouble. Like it was an accident and I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I have to tell you though, I, I, I felt the systemic racism even in middle school. And I saw it, uh, not just from my mom's lens, but from my own personal experience. And I remember, you know, you know, back in the days, you're not allowed to chew gum in school. So I was chewing gum, and it was my first week at Lord Dufferin. And I remember, I'm trying to hold this gum in my mouth because I am not throwing it away. I know it was hubba bubba, whatever, but I was not giving up the gum. And I started reading, and this white teacher, my teacher, Miss Fouché, um, looked at me, and because you get funding, you know, when you put children into special programs, the board gets funding. So mm -hmm. they will streamline you, you know, ESL funding. Oh, you know, I, I remember my friend once told me she was from Jamaica and they spoke English and she said, yeah, they tried to put me in an ESL class. And I was like, I said, what language do you guys speak? <laughs> like, I go, I, saw, I know you speak English. So Miss Fouché walks me down to this room to do a reading test. 
now I got this gum in my mouth. And I'm like, all right, you know, because I was very slow in reading with her and in class. So she just looks at me, you know, total stereotype, visible minority. We're going to give, you know. And as I'm walking down, she brings me to this teacher. I look up. It's a black teacher. It's a black teacher. That, and I know black teachers from Jersey. Those ones you don't mess with. You go in, you do what they say, because you really don't want to cross them. I looked at her, and I did this one big gulp, and I, the gum was gone. <laughs> she turns around, and she gives me this book, and she says, okay, young lady, because she had a bit of a West Indian accent. She says, I want you to read this book and keep reading until you get to a word that you don't know how to read or you don't understand or you know how to pronounce it. I said, okay. I got through three quarters of the book and I was going to finish the book. And she says, enough, stand up. I stand up like a soldier. I'm marching with her. She goes, follow me. And I'm walking back. So she gets into my homeroom, my classroom, meets the, uh, the white teacher, Miss Fouché. And she turns to her and says, don't waste my time. <laughs> and sends me on back and said, have a seat. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah, my uh, we had my our parents on or our mothers on, and my mother used to uh, really have issues with some of the teachers because you know you know I'm three years old or whatever, and they're asking you to color in whatever the coloring book, and I always used to color the people brown, and the teachers used to say, hey, you know, uh, we don't want him to feel different or what, and she, my mother says he's different, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that's all right. Have have you you know, um, with your own kids and their experiences, have you had any instances where you've had to point out that it's my kids are black? It's okay for them to identify as being black. Oh well, this is why I thought let's 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 even take a step further. My children know me, and in fact, my daughter Eden shared with her professor this year about um, what I used to make them do. So I used to say to them, school's like a job, okay? You're not there to make friends. You're not there to socialize, get the job done. You got enough family, you know, cause you know, you're tight with your cousin, you're tight with your siblings. That's what you're there for. You're there to learn. And when it came to black history, Month, my kids will tell you used to dread black history month. And the reason why they dread it, it wasn't, you know, in the schools, it's like, you know, that that's concentration that you get for 30 days, or well, if it's in February. So it's like 28 days of concentration of black history. And then that, that concentration is supposed to last you for the other 11 months. So you got to kind of like spread it out. So my kids would say, oh no, here come black history month. I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And when they knew, all right, each one of them had to do an independent project at home that I assigned them. And they would have to, they would have to do the project. Then I would talk to the teacher and say, and now they're going to present and educate you people. Oh, wow. So, so I give you an example. My daughter Jade did the underground railroad and she did it out of Lego and Oreo cookie crumbs. And she talked about it and about the key features and who was involved, et cetera, et cetera. Then my daughter, Eden, she dressed up one of the, as one of the um, 
well, because really not with Canada, but one of the American girls that had the opportunity to go for school and she wore the outfit and she talked about her experience because we read the book. Now, my son, Maxim, he, he, <laughs> because I figure, okay, you know what? You like doing all these presentations. I'm going to make you do two, two. One, he, we did, um, we made fried dumplings, like the West Indian fried dumplings. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how it was the food that the, the slaves would carry with them on a day's work. So they would be made in the morning and everybody wrapped it up in a tissue and they carried it on their person. All the kids in his class carried it. And at three o'clock, it was our two thirty was snack time. Everybody would pull out their fried dumpling and ate it. So they were doing exactly what the slaves would do with the food. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. And the other one I made him do was um, because at one point his school was like focusing on Americans, which I don't mind. And I understand Canada always looks up to the United States as big brother, but we have our own people that have, you know, have history and have been very successful and have, you know, the pillars of our, our, our path or our road. And my member made my son do this one particular American and not Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, he did Bayard Rushton. And everybody was like, okay, this kid's talking about Bayard Rushton, who was a gay black man who had the faith of a something like, like a Mennonite. And everybody was like, you know, okay, you know, this is interesting. And then Maxim said, you may not know him, but he was there when Martin Luther gave his Martin Luther King gave his speech, and you could see him in the background mouthing it. And the reason why you can see him mouthing it because that is the man that wrote the speech. Oh wow! Mm. Supposed to deliver that speech, but they pulled him back because he got caught in the park in a van with another man, and they said, you're not going to represent. You know. Wow! Wow! Interesting. I, I did not know that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And my kids will say, yeah. And our mother made sure black history was that we were all educators. Yeah. It's true. Awesome. Yeah. It's a, with, with black families, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong education, you know, and uh, you know, just like going back to the oral history of how those stories were ta- taught. And I can even remember my grandfather telling me stories, you know, just about his life and everything. And, and that's, that's really uh, uh, something great that, that is passed along to us so we can pass on to our children. Yeah, it's great. I remember my grandfather telling me that his father was born on a boat. And I'm like, you know, as I'm playing on the floor in Nova Scotia, I'm like, you know, because I was that child that was inquisitive. I was that child that would say, well, why do we have to do that? Or how is this way? You know, um, I said, well, how did this happen? He explained to me that his mother... And his father were slaves in the Nazitico, uh Virginia plantation. Wow. And mm. they were running away. And what happened was my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother was um, Syrian. So she was Jewish. And then his father was Cherokee. So they're running to Nova Scotia. And what they did was their, their slave master's last name was Monday. And they basically had that. So when they got to Nova Scotia, because, you know, as a gang runaway slave, people would have their master's names, not thinking I should change it because mm-hmm. they could see they changed it to Goler, which is an old Jewish name that, that, you know, my grandmother who was Jewish knew of back in her country in, in, you know, in Syria. So again, it's interesting, you know, how people's names tells a story. 
Yeah, very much so. Yeah, well, Jason's uh, last name is Jones. So that Jones must have been the largest plantation owner in all of uh, all of the north. <laughs> yeah, somebody, uh, that's why everyone's trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, I, I do want to ask the question about um, uh, from your viewpoint: what is it? What is the systemic uh, um, education like for for the black kids in the in the in the school board? Well, you know, I want to touch base on one thing that uh, a colleague once said to me, and I had to explain to her why we have the Afrocentric school, why we have the Wandering Spirit School. And her comment was, well, when you do that, you are segregating from the rest of us. Isn't that the whole idea that we all be together and we learn together? And I said, well, yes, this is true. However, there are certain schools that like to give the opportunity to have that concentration not just have it one month out of you know 12 months but to learn every day about mm -hmm. history um i think it's important you know we need to have that and we need to not know that you know we have great people i remember uh someone told me it was west indian saying black canadians had no history and i said no we have history but we're not as aggressive of sharing it we're very polite you know, you ask us, we'll tell you, but we're not going to be out there advertising, you know, mm -hmm. um, with the, the TDSB, I, again, I can't speak as, as an employee, but I've right. seen children, I see them, you know, streamlining that try to get everybody, you know, that a little extra funding. I see, you know, and, and I, and kudos to the teachers that try that are not indigenous, that not, that are not black, but they can't be that voice. They can't, tell that story with, with the connection to saying, like I'm telling you, I could talk about the black history and say, oh yes, and my grandfather has done this. My grandfather has contributed to the black, you know, the black organization, you know. Um, it is challenging because, you know, when I was going to school and my children are the same now that they're 20, 23 and 26, they talk about it. Like, all you hear is the genocide of the indigenous people and the black people with slavery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so some came up, the loyalists, the maroons, and you're like, okay, but they had to do some good. Okay. Yeah. You know, it wasn't always bad. The, the, you know, and just to have that negative connotation behind it, it, it doesn't give children self-pride. It doesn't give children, you know, um, self-awareness you know, the confident to put up your hand, everything, just, you know, you sit back because it's still European based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so. Still there. So when they say to you, yeah, we're talking about this, mm, you know, it's like, why are we talking about Martha Luther King? Like, why don't we talk like Viola Desmond or Laura Howe, you know, mm -hmm. or Buddy Day, like, mm -hmm. I want to I want to switch gears actually because uh, before before we came on you had mentioned a couple of topics that you um, that you wanted to talk about and one hadn't even uh, crossed my mind which but it does sound quite important and that is um, uh, the experience of black women in the and when you're having to go through uh, the medical community and some mm -hmm. of the misconceptions and some of the things that go on there can you talk a little bit about that. Oh, for sure. I'm like, I, I would say I'm a product of it. 
you know, uh, I've ended up with stage three advanced breast cancer. And then it came back again because he didn't listen to me. And, you know, I think God puts me on this earth to remind them of their mistakes. And I never let them forget. <laughs> Every time, <laughs> you look familiar. They're, sure, I'm the woman you misdiagnosed. Like, <laughs> but it, it's out there and it's serious because it's not just black women. I always include our sisters and brothers that are indigenous because we all follow on that same umbrella that we're coming forward. We're saying we're not well. We're not well. And, you know, it's how the medical field is treating us. They're very dismissive with our concerns. Um, they are the, your family, your GP is the gatekeeper to get a referral to go on to get more tests. But if they feel that you're fine and they don't want to push you forward and give you that referral, you're stuck. Wow. And you can't even go to another doctor because then you get labeled as the problematic patient. You know, and it's awful. Um, the one good thing is I sat on a, a committee from Women's College Hospital and uh, there were other breast cancer survivors and we talked about our experience. And now women that are 50 and over do not have to get that referral to get a mammogram to go to their doctor. If they said, no, I don't think so. I think it's all in your head, you know, and move forward. You can walk in and just bring your health card and get it, get tested. You know, I remember my cousin, Wendy Gray, who was having a C-section and they gave her this anesthetic. And she said to the doctor, I can feel every stitch that you're, you're cutting. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. It's all psychosomatic. Like, you know, you're just, it's all in your head. Just no, I'm telling you. And as she's on the table delivering her first child, she can feel the incisions. Mm -hmm. She can feel them sewing until after, you know, he was so nonchalant, the doctor, oh yeah, I realized the anesthesiologist said, yeah, you could have felt it. Like so dismissive, mm. so dismissive, you know. Wow. Uh, our healthcare, how they perceive black people, you know, only time they, they want you is when they want a guinea pig. And my mother was a clear example when she died of breast cancer, she was part of a study for visible minorities that were bringing in the mammogram machine to Toronto. Now, here's the thing. They really weren't going to use it on us, but they had to use our community to say, but we want it for everybody and we're going to be, you know, inclusive. And, uh, you know, they found something with my mom and left it for a few more years. And then um, finally it, it surfaced because she hit her breast and a lump came a mass when she just had a mammogram three months before that and they found out she had cancer, you know? Um, and it was interesting because had they been proactive with her health and a bit more aggressive and, you know, thinking of this person, not of the color of her skin, I think she may have been here today. Yeah. Wow. You're making me question some of my own, cause I've had some major surgeries on, on joints and, uh, you know, you're making me question some of the interactions that I had with some of these doctors. Well, here's one I can tell you. At one point, they did a study and they were, they were like money. It's again, it's money business. And they had a high ratio of black women getting hysterectomies. Really? And yes. And my friend was one of them. And it was like, it was like going through the, you know, the turnstile. 
like the revolving door. They were bringing them in, send them out, bring them in, send them out. And really some of them didn't, but it's hard because, you know, it's very difficult to sue a doctor, very difficult to get other people to come forward and admit they did wrong or witness they did wrong. You know, I was fortunate that um, my cousin Wendy went with me and I remember the doctor told me to go home, I'm fine. And I said, no, but the student doctor down the hall wants to talk to me. And I remember there was a white lady, she was pregnant. And I turned to her and I said, they're gonna ask you about this meeting between him and I, because at one point we were arguing and I thought he was going to call security because that's the only way I was like in order to, you know, to get that test. And so I went, I had a choice when I left that, that, um, the examining room, I could go to the right and take the door and go home, or I would go to the left. And I said to myself, I know I have breast cancer and he's not listening because it's the same like my mom and my mom taught me and she showed me mm-hmm. and I went down and took the left turn and the woman did a biopsy underneath my arm and took a, a sample and came back and said I was stage three advanced. Now, I thank that doctor today. She is a woman of color. She is Middle Eastern. And she, I ran into her a few years ago. Um, and it was amazing. And I thanked her. I said, you saved my life because in six months, I would have been dead. I was, I was just on the cusp of stage four, which they don't even want to help you. And I shouldn't say they don't want to help you, but your options are limited. And um, I asked her, I said, why did you listen to me when the other doctor in examining Whitman, she said, it was a story that you told me about your mother and how she acquired breast cancer. And I was like floored. And she said, there was probability that you, you know, you know your body best. And the doctor that my mother had, Dr. Trudeau, who went on to Sunnybrook, I was 33 years old, pregnant with my second child, knowing that this is the third round for my mom with breast cancer and she may not make it. And I said to the doctor, what do I do not to end up like my mother? And she said, just tell your story. They'll know what to do. I told my story and nobody listened. Wow. That's, um, you know, Wow. This is, I think this is why these, these conversations are, are quite important, like, um, especially for our community, because um, a, lo- a lot of our community are, we, we, especially in Nova Scotia, like you said, we grow up and we're taught not to make waves mm-hmm. and we're yeah. told to get along, right? Um, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> this conversation, especially, you know, conversations that we're having here, is important to actually question and and ask questions and and yeah. uh, stand up for yourself and whatnot. Very but, much uh, so. Yeah, this is this has been amazing, uh, Ina. You are amazing. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you, you so thank much. You, thank you so much, Jay Jones. You want to take us out? Yes, thank you so much for sharing your story and um, you know standing up for your rights and and <laughs> teaching teaching the teaching the kids to stand up for their their rights as well. It's an important. Uh, thing and and uh you know um we can only learn from our elders and things like this bringing light to situations that no one thinks about in an everyday kind of way is really important and that's why we started this podcast and we're really glad that you could be a part of it and i'm so proud and happy that you're you got some nova scotian roots too you know because <laughs> we're strong I, strong people i wanted to share with you one thing um and I want to stress this too, it's something about the kids. And that is, the, 
the doctors also have this perception of children, like more black children can tolerate more pain. So they would like, mm. oh, well, you know, you don't really need that. Or, you know, and I say this because when my son broke his wrist, nobody listened to him. He made a makeshift, uh, you know, sweater. And the next minute, you know, teachers poking at it say, oh, does that hurt? Like, it's a broken wrist. Wow. And then, you know, he went to another teacher and then the other teacher was disciplining him because he couldn't write, you know, and, and the principal at the end was looking at me and I'm like, he's got a broken wrist. And then when I, the other thing I want to add, sorry, Jay, just with this patient okay. um, with the hospitals as a black mother going in to the hospital with your child who broke his wrist at 1030, but you don't find out. And then you take them at the hospital at 230. They're looking at you and ready to call CAS on you. Like, Oh, this uh. is negligent your child has a broken wrist and you're just bringing him down. What were you doing? And I oh said, my God. and I said to them, well, first of all, I was at a doctor's appointment, but when I found out, I went over and just to let you know, it was the school. And if you want to call CS to sit on me on the school, by all means, I will be there. Never happened. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, lesson, lessons to learn, man. <laughs> for sure. And, and they just, the lessons keep on coming too. The school of life, you know? Yeah. Th thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Down Home. Um, the Nova Scotia experience by two black men. I'm Jay Jones and as Derek Wise. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for listening. And like I said, thanks for sharing your story. Anyway, gentlemen, I look forward to this and hearing everybody else, I, I think the, the idea of wearing something Scotian or like, you know, I think that's really cool. And I found when I was listening to, to Jason's um, story, it was uh, very interesting, it was very connecting and engaging. You know, because yeah. we all as parents, we have this thing, we can tune out people just yeah. automatic. But I was like, wow, this is this. This is good. This oh, is good. Cool. You Thank know? you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Signing off. Thank All you. Right. The neighborhood. Okay. All right. Take care. Take Bye. care of yourself. Thanks Bye. Again. You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The song Breaking New Ground from the breakdown on a high plateau from the one down below to the future of the funk getting lost in the flow